going back over in the Psalms where I said, you know, we got to learn to dig wells, dig holes. You and I can do that. Because if you look at the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, don't ever miss the point that's there that says, and Jacob's well was there. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jacob dug that well hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus meets the woman at the well. What if he'd not dug the well? It was the stater of life for his day, yet faithful to do it, and yet God used it that day when Jesus comes, you know, to, and to the well, and the woman comes to the well, and there's a rock sitting on a rock. It changes her life. But Jacob dug a well. Don't ever think that whatever you're doing in your life is not making a difference. And it will for generations to come when it's done in the name of the Lord. I want to say just a word about Grace Church. I, I didn't say this in the other service, but in the way that we keep uh, records and statistics and things through our Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, uh, we know a lot about your church by simply sitting down and reading some of your history. This church, if I read correctly, is 78 years old. And according to information you give us, if it's through what we used to call church letters or, or church profiles as we get them today, do you know in the history of this church, this church has baptized 771 people. Now I hope that's baptized 771, set them on the road to discipleship. That's what happened. That's amazing in your history. Sometimes we don't think we're getting a lot done. Do you know this church has given almost $2 million through the cooperative program? over that same period of time of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And so you've been faithful, and thank you for doing that. Thank you for giving to the golden offering for Tennessee Missions. Uh, very quickly, my role is I work with about 465 churches here in the Northeast um, in what we call Harvestville 7. Most of the staff of your Tennessee Baptist Mission Board dispersed in the state. We don't have offices down in Franklin, Tennessee, Everybody sits down in an office. We have some people that are there, and we go there for staff meetings. We're throughout the state. So I'm working with about eight or nine associations here in the Northeast all the time with directors of missions and with pastors and know your pastor here very well. I told the other group, though, he was really courageous because he let me come and preach. And as far as I know, Travis never heard me preach. But he let me come. So that was good. But we've had a lot of great conversations because he has a heart for revitalization. That's part of what I do as well. And I work with bivocational churches in the state, and that's churches that the pastor works on a secular job, and he pastors a church. And that's from Mountain City to Memphis and everywhere in between. So Kathy and I know a lot about Interstate 40. We've been on it a lot in the last five years as I've worked with the mission board. My wife Kathy's with me, and uh, she was an educator, taught school for 31 years. And most of those years she taught eighth graders. And uh, sometimes that astounds people when we tell them that. She taught eighth graders. And she said, eighth graders are never hard to teach. Eighth graders already know everything. So, uh, but anyhow, she did that quite well. And uh, so grateful for her and, and God has allowed us. We've been married for 51 years. And still going to the glory of God. And, and just a privilege to share with you today. And I pray, encourage you in, in the word of God and what you're doing in your life to make a difference uh, in the kingdom. Now, if you've got your Bible, I want you to open it to me, uh, with me, please, to Revelation chapter 1, all the way over in the back of your Bible to the last book in the Bible, the book of the Revelation and chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading there in verse 9. 
And if I have a thought for you that I want you to think with me about, it would be that the need of revelation in rough times. Revelation in rough times. Revelation chapter 1, I'm again reading in verse 9, if you'll follow along there with me please, and I'll read a few verses and let's see what God wants to say to us today. Revelation 1 verse 9, the Bible says, I, John, your brother and partner in affliction. John identifies with the church, although he's not directly with them right now because we're going to see where he is, but he identifies with the church and he identifies with the struggles and the burdens and the challenges that the church has. So he says, I'm a partner in your affliction. I partner in the kingdom. Kingdom's got it good. God's at work in his world. And then I'm a partner with you in endurance, how we keep on keeping on, how we keep doing what God has called us to do until Jesus calls us home. Because we're doing all of this because we are in Jesus. Now he says, I was on the island called Patmos. And I was there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I love this part here. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. I want you to send it to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was one like the son of man. He was dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze that is fired in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. Sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Now he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid for I'm alive forever. I'm the living one. I'm the first and the last. I hold the keys of death and Hades. And therefore write you what you've seen, what is and what will take place after this. Now the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And this is God's word to his people and all God's people say, amen. This is the word of the Lord to us. John, God's servant, he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Now this uh, is a barren, rocky, windswept island that a lot of times by law, those who had believed to have broken the law, and it's John's charge, he's here for two reasons, for the word of God and for his witness. He's on this island. Not a good place to be, especially if you're the age that John is. This is probably a little less than 70 miles uh, from Ephesus. It's in the Aegean Sea. Today we call it modern-day Turkey. It's off the coast of modern-day Turkey. And this is where John is on this island. And he's there because he's living for Jesus and testifying of Jesus. So John is living in a tough time. The church is in a tough time. I want you to understand that you're living in a tough time. And it's going to get tougher. I'm not here to be doom and gloom. I'm just saying it's going to be tougher to walk with Jesus 
and to live for Jesus and walk with Jesus, witness of Jesus in a culture that we now find ourselves in. Because the world system in John's day had declared war against the people called Christians. You're living in a world today that's doing that same thing, declaring war against the church, against Jesus Christ and what he stands for. And these were Christians. You say, well, who were these Christians in John's day? These are they that have beaten their swords into plowshares. These are people who have become doves rather than hawks. These are peacemakers, not peacebreakers. These are people who are meek and kind and tenderhearted, people who will turn the other cheek and accept the slap. They blessed when they were cursed. They pray when they were persecuted and exchange their weapons for the word of God. Their helmet is salvation. Their breastplate is righteousness. They're strapped around their waist by the truth. Their shield is faith. And they have shoes that are ready to get up and go and share the gospel. Their banner is the cross. Their song's amazing grace. Their leader was a suffering savior. And the war declares the world declares war against them. And the world system declares war in this way. They were chained in dungeons. They were made sport of in coliseums. They were fed to lions. They were chased by wild dogs. They were tarred and feathered, lit as human torches, crucified on crosses, tortured on racks, beheaded, speared, beaten, banished, excommunicated, exiled, starved, made homeless and jobless. These were they who were following Jesus Christ. You know, I often think when, when Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus, you hear that story, and he sends a servant, God sends Ananias to testify of Paul about what was taking place in his life. And he says to Paul, he says, I, I want you to tell Paul, this is what Jesus said, you tell Paul that he's a chosen vessel unto me. And you tell him how he's going to suffer for my name's sake. Now I want to ask you something. When you came to Jesus Christ to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, did anybody look at you and say, now I want to tell you how you're going to suffer because you're going to follow Jesus. I don't know that anybody told us that, but, but it's a reality. You hear what was, here's what was happening. John and the church, these were rough times. They were dangerous times. So I say to you today that when our faith is challenged, when it's threatened and called into question, I don't know about you, but when I'm living in a world like that, when I come to worship, I need a fresh encounter with the Lord. I need that. What's ahead of me? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but he holds tomorrow. And I know that whatever's coming my way, I need this encounter with the Lord. Because sometimes we get dry and we get spiritually lifeless. You know, I think this is one of those times of the year. I believe around Christmas is one of the toughest times of the year for people. There's more loneliness. There's more struggle and there's more heartache. And then when we get caught up in all the hustle and bustle of the activities and things that go on this time of the year, everything from championship football games to you name it, we get caught up in all of it. Sometimes we get a little dry. We get a little spiritually dry. And I believe without a revelation from God, you, get, you lack direction for your life. We need revelation from God. The Bible says, and I love it here in, in this verse that Jesus says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That means on the Lord's day, he was seized by God. Has God ever seized you on his day? 
just just grabbed you up and, and, and renewed you and refreshed you. John was seized by God and he has this personal revival with Jesus Christ while he's on the Isle of Patmos. John walked in the Spirit, lived in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, thrilled by the Spirit. I tell you, being in the Spirit is a good thing. Amen? It's a good thing to be in the Spirit in the Lord, to be seized by the Spirit of God in our lives. You know, if we really want to hear from the Lord, really want to see the Lord, it's necessary that we be in the Spirit. And it all starts with the fact that we were saved, we were born again in the Lord, and the Holy Spirit sets up residence in our life. So we need the Lord, and we need the Lord to reveal himself to us in a new and a fresh way. I think the words of the psalmist have often been my words, Psalm 119, verse 37. The psalmist said, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Now, have you ever been guilty of looking at worthless things? Well, maybe I should have been looking at the Word. Maybe I should have been spending time with the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 88, Revive me according to your loving kindness so I may keep the testimony of your mouth in me. Our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, you know what we read there? I didn't read about a baby in a manger. That's not what he looks like. That's not who he is today. You see, you, you can't have the manger without that cross and then you've got a crown. He's King Jesus. And that's the way I want you to, to see him today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still reveals himself to us in the 21st century. Did you know that when pits in our lives become prisons, he still leans over the hole of hopelessness, hopelessness and shows us his face and extends his hand? He still loves us that much. When Joseph's are discouraged, he still lifts them up. Just like you and me, when you're weary of roaring in the midnight of some storm of life, he still shows up walking on the storms. Still shows up to help us in an hour of need. Oh my, our God challenges us today. And he asks all of us as a church, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for him? It is not too hard for him. When we've given up, when we bury those we love, we bury our plans, our dreams and our desires are buried in a tomb of finality, he still shows up and says, show it to me. Nothing's too hard for me. And he wants us to understand that today. He slips through walls when doors are locked. Jesus is there in the rough times and he will be there for us. So do you need your life refreshed? That's what I have to ask myself. I need refreshing in the Lord. Do I seem dry sometimes and spiritually empty? Well, look what happened to John that he was in the spirit of the Lord's day. Let's see what happened. The Bible says in the verses that we read, the first thing happened to John in verse 10 in the verses, in the spirit of the Lord's day, I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet. So he hears God. You ever heard God? He hears God like a trumpet. The sound is. But how does God speak? Well, I, I shared in the other service earlier that I had the privilege of sitting under the teaching of Dr. Clyde Francisco Southern Seminary uh, many years back. And Dr. Francisco 
uh, taught a study on the book of Job, which I'll always be grateful for, but I remember him talking in our class about one time he was struggling with what God wanted him to do in his life. Next decision, next journey, where do I go here? And he's driving home and it's late at night and it's raining and just he and God and he's talking to God. And Dr. Francisco said, I heard the audible voice of God for the first time in my life. Now, I sat up and paid attention to that because, you know, a lot of times people might tell me that and I think there's some sort of quack, but Dr. Francisco said, I heard the voice of God speak to me. Does God ever speak to you? He's speaking to you all the time. Let me tell you how He speaks to you. First and foremost, He speaks to you through His Word. But He's not talking to you if you're not reading His Word. But when you read His Word, He speaks to you. Directly. This is when God speaks most distinctly to us. It's through His Word. And so He speaks through His Word. Sometimes He'll speak through the circumstances of your life. The journey you might be on, God begins to show us, you know, how this is working in our lives and how He's going to help us. Uh, Sometimes it's that still, small voice. Hard to hear the still, small voice of God because the world is screaming all the time in our lives. But He's still got that still, small voice. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. And so we hear him speak to us. Sometimes he will speak through catastrophes that come in our lives. And he helps us. I shared earlier too how God spoke to our family at a very difficult time. In 2011, we lost our oldest grandson in an automobile accident. He was just into college and fine Christian boy. And man, he broke our hearts. It's really hard for me to accept that God even could love my grandson more than I could love. And I was reminded of that at that time. Had a friend that I had a conversation with on the phone, and he said, John, I don't know what to tell you. He said, All I can tell you is lean on Jesus. And that little phrase made all the difference in my life at that time lean on Jesus. You know what? I'm more determined to preach this gospel today than I've ever been more determined that people know the love of God than ever before because you learn to lean on Jesus. So sometimes he speaks to us through the catastrophe of his life. So the first thing here to the spirit moving fresh and anew in John's life, he hears God. And what I want you to do today is hear God in your life. He's talking to you. What's he saying to you today? So we hear God. He heard God. Second thing he did, look at, look at verse 12 in the verses. He says, then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. So he not only heard God, he turned to God. He turned to God. He sensed the presence of God. You know, when you're ready, when you're just tired of going through the motions, and when you're ready to surrender, and when you're ready to repent, when you're tired of trying it on your own, you turn to God. And that's what repentance is. It's turning to God. If you don't, you'll not see Jesus. You see, if you do not turn to God, all you'll see are the walls that are up in your life and the problems that are there. All you're going to see is I'm like I'm imprisoned by bars. All I'll see is the flesh. All I'll see is the devil unless I turn to God and listen to him. If all you see today is your circumstances, if all you're seeing right now are your problems, then you haven't seen Jesus because he loves you so much. Turn to him and believe. So John heard God. He turned to God. And then in verses 13 through 16, you remember I shared a minute ago, 
If you read verse 13 through 16 in this passage, it's not a baby in a manger. And I believe with all my heart, this is how Jesus looks today in his glorified state. This is our Lord Jesus. So the third thing is not only did he hear God and turn to God, he sees Jesus like he's never seen him before. He sees him in, in this powerful, victorious state and he marvels at his presence. Have you ever marveled at the presence of God when you worship? How majestic he is. The Bible says he has a robe on all the way down to the feet. It's a priestly robe. The only people who wore robes all the way to the feet were the priests. So you see Jesus here as a priest, picture of a priestly robe. Had a golden sash across his chest. as a sign of his ability to judge. Not only priest, but judge. So that's the position of the Lord standing in those golden lampstands, standing in the midst of his churches. He's priest. He's judge. And then he starts talking about looking at Jesus, the picture of Jesus. You remember the story of the little kids one day in class and the teacher asked them to draw pictures. And uh, she goes by this one little boy and he's vigorously drawing and she said, Billy said, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And he says, well, nobody's seen God. And he said, well, I'm not finished with the drawing yet. You see, God, the picture. Did you know the passage we read that that's the only physical description of Jesus in the Bible? Oh, wait a minute, I got a picture hanging on my wall. No, this is the only picture of Jesus we're giving in the, given in the Word of God. Oh, we've seen the Sunday school pictures, haven't we? We've all seen them. Sometimes we won't think Jesus was that real handsome guy. And I got a picture of him, but the Bible says that's not true. There's nothing about him that allures people to him in a physical sense. It's what the, the Old Testament writers said. He's just an ordinary guy. Nothing physically attractive about him. But you got to really see Jesus for who he is. When Jesus comes again, or when we die and stand before Jesus, what do you think he's going to look like? Is he going to have uh, brown hair? Blue eyes? Brown eyes? Fair skin? Dark skin? What's he going to look like when I stand there? What do you think he's going to look like? I believe he's going to look exactly like John saw him on the Isle of Patmos in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And John tells us then, he says, when I look at him, his hair is white as wool. So I can identify that. His hair is white as wool and, and snow. Look at his hair. I think that's an important thing to know about Jesus because you know you're living in a culture that as time is going along, this culture is respecting less and less the aging process. Did you know we're, we're disrespecting that? We, let me tell you what we do. We fight everything to stop it. Don't we? Come on, ladies. Come on, man. We do everything we can to stop the aging process. You know, I'm going to color my hair. I'm going to use cosmetic. I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to get old. Do you know why we do that? Because we think it's weak to be old. But Jesus' hair is white as snow. 
There's no weakness in Jesus. It's a matter of wisdom. One who truly grasps the purpose and meaning of all things. So he has this hair wise. He is the ancient of days. And he's to be honored as such. The Bible says that you are to rise in the presence of the elderly and honor the old. Fear the Lord, I am God, he says. The Bible says white hair is a glorious crown. It's found in those of righteousness. And Jesus has hair white as snow, white as wool. And he has fiery eyes. Wow. I related a story of a person I knew some years ago that I would visit and visit him not too long before he went home to be with the Lord and I have interesting conversations with him. And he looked at me one day and I was talking to him. He said, Preacher, I got to tell you something. He said, It always bothers me when you come to see me because when you look at me, it's like you're looking right down inside of me. I really wasn't looking down inside of him, but he thought I was just by my eyes. But Jesus has fiery eyes. He's going to search us out, isn't he? He knows us when nobody else. Oh, we think we know one another. No, Jesus knows us, doesn't he? And his majestic right, he knows who we are. And with those fiery eyes, he's able to look inside of us truly. You see, Jesus really knows who we are. He has those bronzed feet. Simply means he has feet that are permanent and stable. You can't knock him down. Didn't knock him over. He's there for the duration. Bible says he had a voice, and John said this voice was like a mighty waterfall, cascading waters. Wow! You ever been to Niagara Falls? Anybody here ever been to Niagara Falls? This man's going. Okay, I remember when Kathy and I some years ago. We were going to Niagara Falls. Never been up in that part of the country, but we were going that way. He kind of winding around said, reckon when we'll know we're there, uh, when we'll see it. Well, you know, I heard it a long time before I saw it. And John says, the voice of Jesus is like a mighty waterfall. You hear it even before you see it. He speaks. And in his right hand are seven stars. You see, he's in control. You see, everything in his right hand is secure. I'm glad I can tell you today that Jesus got a hold of my life and he won't let go. Is that true for you? He upholds me in his right hand. Nothing can take me out of the hand of Jesus. I'm secure in him, my faith in him and what he did for me on the cross and so he got a hold of my life. And then the Bible says he's got a mouth that, that speaks and, but, it's, but it's like a two-edged sword. Cuts every direction when he speaks. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharpening into his sword. When Jesus comes back, it's the only weapon he's going to need when he comes back is his word. And he will win with his word because his word is words that will cut, but they'll also heal. They will hurt, but they will help. The words of Jesus. Bible says here this face is as brilliant as, as the sun in his brilliance. You remember that's what Paul said about him. He met him on the road to Damascus. I saw a light. The light was radiant greater than the sun and I encountered the Son of God. So you think one day when we see Jesus, 
we're just going to walk up to him and say, hey, man, I'm glad to see you, Jesus. I'm glad I'm here. That's not what John said will happen when you truly see him in this description that he gives us here, this high priest, this holy and pure one, uh, the one to look upon his, his, his mighty voice. Uh, he holds everything in his right hand. Overwhelmed. John is overwhelmed by the cross and who Jesus is. I am overwhelmed by this. Last several weeks, and please don't misconstrue what I'm going to share, but I, I want to make a point with it. The last few weeks on, on television, there have been different promotions for different needs. The one that's been most interesting to me is the one they share about people that have, about the cats and the dogs and all they're out in the cold, shivering, don't have any shelter, and they're playing silent night all the night behind those pictures. And, and I'm sure there's some people when they watch that, they're emotionally moved. They cry. But those same people, if you show them a picture of the cross, they don't cry. They're not moved by that. I remember a friend of mine, Jerry Eshery, told a story about his, his uh, daughter going to youth meeting on Wednesday night at the church. And she came home from youth meeting, and Jerry said she always came home, sat down, living with mom and me, and talked about what had gone on youth meeting, how they'd been blessed and all. She came home on this particular Wednesday night and just went straight to her room. Went right down the hall, didn't speak to her mom, didn't speak to me. We looked at one another and said, something's happening, got to go talk to her. So Jerry says, I go to my daughter's room and knock on the door and she allows me to come in. She says, she's sitting there on her bed and I can tell she's in deep thought. And I, I said, what, what's happening? What's wrong? She said, Daddy, I just got back from the youth meeting. I'm really bothered about what I learned. And he said, well, what was that? He said, well, our youth leader told us about this man in the community. He owned a little dog. And said, this was the cutest little dog, Daddy. But said, this man was always mean to this little dog. He would he'd put a chain around his neck and drag it around and just mistreat it. Said, Daddy, he even put it, tied it on the end of his bumper and would drive down the street slowly and see if the dog could keep up. And if it didn't keep up, he just dragged the little dog. We all heard that story. And when we heard him tell that story, we cried. And after he finished the story, our youth leader looked at us and said, just a few minutes ago, I talked to you about how Jesus loves us and how he went and died of for us on the cross and had you and nobody cried. John says, I'm overwhelmed by him. What he did for me on the cross. So John heard God. He turned to God. He saw Jesus as he'd never seen him before. And he broke it, and the awesomeness of God overwhelmed him. You know what I believe with all my heart? Holiness comes when you're broken. And John is broken. What do you think you'll do when you see Jesus? I believe I'm going to do probably what John did. I'm going to fall at his feet. You know, an important person could come in here, and I'm not trying to make this for a political point, but a president or some significant leader in the world could walk in here, and we'd all be inclined we'd want to stand up out of respect. When Jesus comes in the room, we fall on our face. Worthy to receive all glory, honor, 
blessing and praise. What do you think you're going to do? What do you think Jesus will say to you in that time? I believe he's going to speak to me just like he did to John. I see a gentle hand that reaches and touches John's shoulder. Don't be afraid, John. But you know who I am. I'm the one who came and died for you. And John, don't you know I taught you because of that cross, perfect love casts out fear. And you're not going to be afraid, but you're going to be glad to be in my presence. Why? Because he lives forever. Our Lord lives. You see, God has the plan. In verse 19, he told John what to write. Because God has a plan. God has a plan for Grace Church in the new year. He has the plan. We must learn to follow His plan. And He's willing to help us and give us instruction through His Word about that. Because we have a gospel to share. C.S. Lewis said this, The gospel story makes absolutely no sense whatsoever without the possibility of hell. There's great tragedy in every community that I want to remind you of. Three great tragedies. Number one is never heard the gospel. That's a great tragedy to never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes when I was a pastor, I'd be asked, Preacher, what's going to happen to those people that die and never get to hear about Jesus? What's going to happen to them in eternity? And I always said, I got a better question for you. What's he going to do with the people supposed to tell them? And then get it to them. How's he going to react to us because we didn't share it? That's a better question. Sometimes they talk about, you know, Jesus chose those guys to follow him. One of them was devil. Jesus, why would he choose somebody like Judas? I always said, I got a better question than that. Why did he choose me? God has a plan for your life. And don't you forget it. And you'll need that revealed to you in, in the rough and challenging times that come. But they've never heard the gospel. Second tragedy is to hear it and never respond to it. That's a great tragedy. They never respond to the gospel. And finally, third great tragedy, hear the gospel, respond to it, but you never share it with anybody else. That's a great tragedy. And we can't afford to let that happen, can we? We cannot let that happen because God dwells in us. Let me tell you something, Grace Church. Don't, don't worry about programs. You better know you got the power. The power is what we need in our life, not our programs. The power and the presence of the Lord in the church is what, what's so vital for us. You see, we're not promoters of anything. We're witnesses of Jesus Christ. We're witnesses to how he changes a life. And wherever we go, we meet people. We need to tell them about Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, when the power of God was manifest through the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up and he preaches. But Peter wasn't effective because of his life. Peter, Peter was a person that could lie. Peter was a person that you couldn't depend on all that. It wasn't any of that. What was the difference for Peter? He had power. And the power was the presence of the Lord in his life. God's got the strategy in Acts 2, 41 to 47. You ever hear anybody say, about, well, you know, preacher, I've had this a lot when I was a director of mission. Preacher, I believe God's trying to do something down to our church. You know what I tell them? No, he's not. They look at me right back. He's always doing something at your church. He's just trying to get you to join him. That's, 
Yeah, well, I think he's trying to do something down at our church. No, he's already doing something. He just wants you to see it and identify with him and join up with him in the church. And I love the words of Dr. Adrian Rogers, and I close with this, and I quote him when he said, some may preach the gospel of Jesus Christ better than I even I can preach it, but nobody will ever preach a better gospel than the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So don't you fear him because he's the first and the last. Uh, he's the one that's alive forevermore, so don't fear life. He's alive forevermore. And don't fear dying because he holds the keys of death and the place of death in his hands and gives victory to those who know him as Lord and Savior. Revelation in rough times. We need to see the Lord. Maybe see him as I've never seen him before in my life. That's how I need to see him. And our church needs to embrace the Lord. Have you embraced Jesus today and has he embraced you? God's pulse must be in this church. Danny Singfield, friend of mine, Bartlett's church uh, in Memphis, tells the story of a young student. And I'll tell this and I'm finished. He was a young student in his church. He was a senior in high school. He was a great athlete, popular kid. One day he was on his way home from school came to a four-way stop that he always came to every day on his way home, starts through the four-way stop, car coming the other way, runs the stop sign, T-bones his car. They take that young man to the hospital and a mom and dad get the call to say, you just don't want to ever get. They said, your son's been hurt seriously. We need you to come to the hospital. They go to the hospital. They go in to see their son and the doctors say, you know, right now he's on life support as far as we know there's no real life there other than support machinery and all's given but it's your call you got to make a decision about your son no mom and dad wants to have to make that decision but they made the decision they took him off the life support and the young man went home to be with the Lord broke that mom and dad's heart but they came to him right after he died and they said to his mom and dad, I don't know whether you knew this or not, but your son had signed off. He's an organ donor. He wants you to know that we're going to proceed to take organs that may help somebody else to live. And they did. Sometime later after that event, Dr. Singfield tells a story about the mama calling him. He said, Pastor, I need, need you to go with me. Uh, we're going down to the hospital. They called us at the hospital and said they're having a reunion of people that have received organs from those that have died and given their organs. And there's going to be a man there that day that has the heart of our son. Would you go with us to meet him? He said they went down to the hospital and they were in this room and there were some refreshments and all people walking around and, and uh, this man walked up his mom and dad and he looked at him and he said I want you to know how much I appreciated the gift of your son and the heart that I have today because of your son and the mother's the tears began to flow looked at that man and said I want to ask one thing of you 
And he said, what's that, ma'am? He said, can I hug you? I just want to feel the heartbeat of my son one more time. And he hugged her. You know what? Sometimes I believe in a church. The father says, I want to hug you. And I just want to feel the heartbeat of my son one more time in you. Because he gave his life for us. Amen. And we need to live for him. Jesus is not asking you to die for him. He's asking you to live for him. We're not at that point, but will you live for him? And will you see him in a way maybe you've never seen him before today? And say, thank you, Jesus. I serve a victorious one. And he's coming again, not as a baby in a manger, but he's coming as king of kings and Lord of lords. And as S.M. Lockridge said it, he's my king. Is he yours? He's my king.